dog's head exploded out there. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Colossians chapter 1, right in the middle of your New Testament. Epistles of Paul, Galatians, Ephesians, um, Philippians, and Colossians. Chapter 1, it's page 1833 in my Bible. Last week we touched on the first few verses of this chapter, and it was the preeminence of Christ, that he is first place, first and foremost, uh, in this universe that he created, first and foremost uh, in the life of uh, every believer. He should have first place. He should be number one. And... Uh, and without rival, without rival, anything less or anything other than that would be idolatry. This morning, the message is titled Reconciled to Christ, Reconciled to Christ. We're going to turn to verse 19. I'm going to read briefly and quickly, and then we'll go back and then uh, we'll break it down. For it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of the Lord Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh with what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now hath been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And Paul closes his chapter with, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. There's a lot to, to uh, unpack here, but the first point uh, this morning is um, the Father was pleased. Look at uh, verse 19 of Colossians. And Paul writes this book to the church at Colossae and uh, writes this epistle, and he's speaking to them. He says, it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. So the first thing, we've got a lot of visitors today, and, and uh, the first thing that I want to stress is that Jesus Christ had the fullness of God the Father living in him. So when we say, you know, what's your doctrine? What do you believe? What do you teach? One of the major things that uh, divides uh, people today is who Jesus was. And the Bible says even there were divisions among the people in that day because of him. And there are people uh, today that are divided, even in households, over who he was. Paul says that all the fullness uh, dwelt in him, meaning that he was fully God. So when people talk about Jesus being the Son of God, that's true. He's God's representation uh, of, to, to earth, to us. But he's also the Son of Man, that he represents man to God for, on, on our behalf. So the Father was pleased that, that when the Son of God took flesh that he was no less than God Almighty. 
in human flesh. And that's what's distinctive about uh, biblical Christianity is that God became a man and loved you enough to come down and put on an earthly tent. And he says, the father was pleased because all the fullness dwelt in him and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, he's talking about the Lord Jesus, whether things on earth or things in heaven, heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So the word reconcile, to, to buy back or to take back or to bring back, that, you know, this Jesus, okay, did something that no other religious leaders ever done or any other um, faith system teaches, is that he reconciled or took fallen man back to God. So biblical Christianity is God reaching down to hopeless, helpless, fallen man and grabbing them and pulling them up. All the religions of the world, there's about 9,000 with about 30,000 uh, tributaries and offshoots and so forth, teach that man can do something to climb his way up to God. So the issue is, why is there only one that teaches the opposite of everything else in the world? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He made exclusive claims. And what I tell people is that you don't have to believe what he said, but when someone makes exclusive claims that's contrary contrary to everything and every other faith system known to man since the beginning of time, it's worth some investigation. It's worth some investigation because I never heard anyone bump their knee and yell out Muhammad. I never heard anyone bump their knee and blame Buddha. I never did. I never have. Okay? But for some reason, you can go all around the world, and when people are mad, they're mad at Jesus. You know why? Because he holds the key. He holds the keys. The Bible says in Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turns it whatsoever way he will. He's sovereign over the universe. Jesus is God. He reconciled all things to himself. But how did he do this? It says, Having made peace through the blood of his cross. It's interesting. All religious faith systems in the known world have to do with man doing things doing things. What must I do? The rich young, rich young ruler said to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? That's the wrong question. The better question would be, what is your requirement? What do you require for me to be right with you? The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He didn't do anything. Everything he did subsequent to that glorified the fact that he once believed. Peace through the blood of his cross. If you turn, you don't have to do that uh, right now, but if you turn all the way back to Genesis 3.21, peace was made through the blood of Jesus' cross. But all the way back in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, what we have is Adam and Eve made themselves um, a covering. And they did it from fig leaves. So what they did was they did something. What do we do? We know that we've sinned and we're naked. What do we do? So they went out and did something to cover up their shame. But God came and made them coats of skins, which means an animal had to die to cover their sin. So blood was shed. All the way back in the garden in Genesis 3.21, blood was shed to cover sin. The theme of the blood is replete throughout the whole entire scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. We could preach a 12-week series on the blood alone. We sing songs about the blood. What is it about the blood? Christians talk about the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And people get offended. 
Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, in Hebrews 9.22, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So someone has to die and shed blood to pay the penalty for sin. And I said it last week. When Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, the last words he said is, it is finished. It is finished. In Greek, the word is two words put together. It's tetelestai, and it means paid in full. And I said, it, it just seems odd that a dying Hebrew carpenter, naked in, in an open shame, paying for the sins of humanity, would yell out, it's paid in full. Very, it just seems nonsensical to someone to say paid in full when they're dying. Until you read the scriptures, what was paid in full? Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift, you can't earn a gift, you just receive it. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what was paid in full, according to Paul in Romans, the wages of our sin. When we sin, we, we're in debt to God. We have a debt over our head. And that debt's a death penalty. Physical death, we're all going to die. Spiritual death, we're separated from God. And eternal death, separated from God forever. And so he made peace with mankind through the blood of his cross. Revelation 1.15, Revelation 5.9, Revelation 7.14, Revelation 10.19, and 12.11. All speak that we are washed from our sins in the blood of the Lamb. So in order for our sins to be forgiven, according to the scriptures, someone has to die and blood has to be shed. We can't earn it, can't pay for it, can't do anything. Because 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's done. The only thing he requires of you in John 6, 29, people say, and I had talked to these LDS guys, I said, you're going to die today and stand before a holy God, and he's going to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? Oh, well, first I would tell him, and he just did this litany of stuff. I was, my head was spinning. And then I did this, and then I did this, and then you know, I stood on my head, and I recycled, and then I did this, and it, it was just one thing after the other, and it was about 10 or 12 things. And I went, and it's the wrong answer. I said, what part of the 130 verses in the New Testament don't, get, don't you get that you must believe? Oh, we believe, but we also, eh, there's no but also. Again, everything you do subsequent to belief glorifies the belief, and he gets the glory. In other words, when I trust Christ, when I say I acknowledge the fact that I, I'm bad, I'm not good, and I need help. And I've offended a righteous God through my actions, thoughts, and uh, the things I've done, the things I've not done, the things I've said. And so I have this penalty hanging over my head. And what does he require of me? John 6, 29. This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. I'm not talking about it here. A lot of people go to hell because they missed it by 18 inches. See? It, here's the deal. Oh, I believe. Well, the Bible says the devil believes and trembles. The demons believe and trembles. They believe. They're not atheists. There's nobody that's ever died that's an atheist. So the devils believe and they tremble, but they don't believe here. And when a person realizes and they come to the point in their life where the Holy Spirit works in their life and says, you know, I've blown it, man. I need to get right. But I don't need to get right with just a, a litany of things, I need to get right with someone. 
And through the blood of his cross, he has made that possible for you and for me this morning. So the first point was the father was pleased and Christ's blood was poured out and peace was made. The next point is we're presented holy and blameless and above reproach before God. And let me say, it's not because of anything you've done. It's because of what he did. But he does require something on your part, okay? And that is to believe, to trust, to have faith. Everybody has faith in something. I have faith right now that this, this um, stage is going to hold me. You know, I didn't really think about it. I just do. When you sat in that chair this morning, you had faith that that chair would hold you up. And this morning, God is calling you to put faith in the Lord Jesus to hold you up spiritually for all of eternity. Jude, 20, uh, Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... So when we come to Christ, he will present us holy and blameless and above reproach. He does the presenting. He does the keeping. He does the forgiving. Debate with a lot of people over eternal security. Well, you believe that you're once saved, you're always saved, so I can just say, save me, Jesus, and just go out and kill everybody? Well, first of all, someone that loves Jesus and truly acknowledges their sin and invites them to come in and be their, uh, their personal Savior and Lord isn't going to want to go do that. Now, if they go do that, I would say that person never had a real encounter with the creator of the universe. You have an encounter with the creator of the universe, one-on-one, okay? That's not going to be something that's on your mind. You're not going to want to do those things. You're not going to want to, you're going to want to, we talked last week, you're going to want to please him. You know, I've, I've talked about in Sunday school, Wednesday nights, you know, it's, these all tie together. I'm a pretty simple person. You know, I'm not a Rhodes Scholar. I mean, I got good grades in school, but I mean, come on, it's public school in Juneau, Alaska. I mean, who, who couldn't get good grades? <laughs> anyway. Hi, guys. How you doing? Love you. There is a correlation between what God does and what he requires of us. And I, you know, Pastor Jim and I have these conversations, and I always say, there's a fine line. He goes, there's a fine line. And then he'll say, and when you find out where it's at, let me know. I don't, I get on the internet, I read a lot, and everyone's, uh, Christians are just doing this with each other all the time. Well, you can't love Jesus and have red carpet. I mean, the people, churches divide over the color of carpet. Don't believe me, it happens. God calls you to trust, to have faith, to believe. But it's not a blind faith, and I don't have time to, to give an apologetics class. I like to teach on apologetics. I've studied it for 25 years. Apologetics from the Greek word apologia, and it means to, to have a defense for something along those lines. So when I defend my faith, people say, Coach, or, you know, my players here, coach or dad, or you, you believe, or uh, Phil, you believe this. Why? Thanks for asking. And uh, the one I always come back to, I always come back to this, of a book, More Than a Carpenter, by Josh McDowell. This is my go-to. 2,000 years ago, this religious leader was going to overthrow Rome, according to the people that were following him, because they didn't, uh, you know, really understand what was going on spiritually with the Old Testament and the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. And so when he was put to death on that Roman torture device we call a cross, uh, they ran. 
They ran and hid. They would have none of it. He's gone. He's dead. It's over. The movement is over. Those same people, uh, three days later, are running down the streets of the, you know, the busiest city in Israel, telling everybody, it's not over. He's back. Okay? And uh, all but one were put to death, tortured for their faith, because they would not deny not any teachings or not anything they believed, but because of what they saw. They saw a dead man become alive again. And only John uh, you know, lived a, a natural death of about 100 years old or so. The rest were, were, were brutally martyred. And if you read uh, anything in history, Fox's Book of Martyrs and some other things about the martyrs down through history that would not deny what they knew to be true. But it starts with the, with the disciples that were put to death, not for a belief system, but because of what all of them saw. Was a dead guy came back to life. Christianity is not blind faith. There's plenty of evidence out there for anyone that would take the time, and, um, and I encourage you to do so. And it says, in verse 24 of Jude, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. So God does that. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the grace. You call on his name, and he'll give you the power and pull you up to keep you from stumbling. And then it says, And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So he does the forgiving. He does the indwelling. Okay? He does the presenting. It's all him. But there's still a human element involved. There's still a human responsibility to respond to the call, to respond to the commandments, to do what he says, to try to be pleasing in his sight. But he does the presenting. And it says, before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So he does it all, and then he gets the glory for it. But then we get to share in it. Romans 8, 17 says we'll be joint heirs with Christ. So he does it all. We trust. We believe. We don't just then go out and do whatever we want because that's not a real response to love, is it? Someone loves me, well, I to do whatever I want. Well, that's not love. That's not returning. God is prevenient, means he goes first. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So he touches our lives. He reveals himself to us through experiences, through nature, through the conscience, but primarily primarily through this book. And as we respond to that, there'll be a day that he will present us faultless before his throne. So as we move on in Colossians chapter 1, and we have to move along quickly, it says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled. So he's, he's done that. It's past tense. He's speaking to believers. He reconciled them because they put their faith in him. Everyone has faith in something. They put their faith in him to forgive their sins, to come into their lives, and be their Lord and their Savior. Understanding that if you look at uh, the rest of uh, Colossians, and also uh, in other books of the Bible, but uh, primarily Colossians has it in Romans chapter 1 as well, that Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. All things were made by him, and then it says, for him. So you're made by him and for him. It's been said by church fathers, I can't name the church father off the top of my head, but our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee, Lord. We're always looking for something. I don't know what it is. But he says he made us for himself. 
and we will be restless until we find our rest in him. But he has reconciled through faith in the body of his flesh through death. That's where he poured out his blood. And it goes on as we uh, read to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So a lot of people that don't believe in eternal security would look at them and say, well, he's going to present you faultless, but then it says, if indeed you continue in the faith. The word if there is translated from the original Greek, since. So the Apostle Paul, he's just insinuating uh, into this and just acknowledging the fact that people that have truly come to a point in their lives, at some point in time, and bowed their knee and bowed their heart, to God Almighty, and said, yes, okay, that they are his forever. What about those people that served for 60 years and they turned their back, they're never saved? They're never saved. He does the presenting. He's the one, now here's where it gets tricky, he's the one that keeps you. You don't keep yourself saved by anything you do or don't do. He does the keeping. Now I'll tell you what, get saved Get your sins forgiven, start living for him, and then turn your back on him and see how that goes for you. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I've been taken to the woodshed. It's not very, not very nice. How does that go in any relationship you have with somebody you love? I just turned my back. You know, it, there's some real issues there. But someone that comes and saves you from eternal separation and does it all. Then you turn your back on them? You know, God will chasten us, but he wants us to be joint heirs with Christ and inherit those promises. So that chastening doesn't seem, you know, at the time, something that, uh, to be enjoyed. But he's doing it for a purpose, to bring us back to where he wants us to be, to receive the full blessings that he has for us. He wants us to share in that. But it says, if you indeed continue in the faith, since you've continued in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. And he says, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Look, right now, there's a lot of unreached people groups in the world. Bible translators, uh, I, I get things in the mail for donations to Bible translators to reach people that have never heard. The Bible says that even the people who have never heard are without excuse because the creation is such a beautiful, um, you know, artistic design of, of, of a of an engineer and an architect that we can't even fathom. We can't even fathom it. it, it it's just beyond. Romans 1 says it, it's so amazing that they're without excuse. So people say, well, what about the, you know, the guy in the jungle? He's never heard. Hey, man, unless you've been educated at, at Harvard or, or, you know, or one of the uh, state schools in the United States, nobody in the jungle sees a snake go by or see some, you know, something fly overhead or, or a crocodile in the river and go, wow, time and chance is amazing, man. No way. They, know, they don't know what his name is, and they don't know who did it, but they know somebody did it. A building has a builder, a painting has a painter, and a creation has a creator. That's it. And if you don't believe me, get on YouTube and look up DNA. And begin to look at DNA and how it's in these, you, I can't even describe it. I, you know, I skipped biology that day. And uh, 
You, there's no way, unless you have a hardened heart, unless you've just decided, the Bible says that they are willingly ignorant. In the Greek, it literally means dumb on purpose. Nobody could look at DNA and say that it just happened. No way. Look it up. Amino acid cycles and the different things that go on with that. I studied nutrition in college. No way. How insulin is released from the pancreas to take nutrition through the blood to the cells. When did that just happen? Or my, my other favorite one is how, uh, how plants breathe out oxygen. And then we breathe air in, but we take in the oxygen, breathe out CO2, and they take the CO2 back in, and it's cyclical like that. How'd that happen over time? No, it didn't. It happened at a point in time. Okay? So everybody is without excuse. Everybody's without excuse. But the, the next point is the message was preached faithfully. If you look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, I'll just turn there and we'll go quickly. Mark 16, 15. This command, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Faith cometh by hearing, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, and hearing by the word of God. God wants the word of God proclaimed. Because everybody has... Two of the three. Everybody in this known world can look out and see the creation, and everybody has a conscience. But not everybody has access to God's revealed word. And if you don't think there's a real unseen battle going on, read on people that have been burned at the stake for translating the scriptures. Read about people that have been ripped to shreds, drawn and quartered for preaching the word of God. You don't know what that is. Look it up. All to get the word of God out to lost people. There's a real battle going on, folks. You'll feel it. You'll feel it. You see it in the news every day. You see it in the news every day. Okay. Jesus tells us in in Matthew uh, chapter 28, 19, to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go into all the world. So Paul was saying right here that to every creature in that known world uh, at that time. Obviously, he's not talking about, you know, Australia or, or whatever, but just the known world for them. Okay. The second point, those are all sub points, but the second point this morning is a sacrificial service for Christ. So Paul now realizes, and he explains this to, or he doesn't realize, but he explains this to them about their being reconciled to Christ and all that that entails. It's, it's so much. But then, the last point is sacrificial service for Christ. So now that you've heard this, and then you know, the Colossians, they hear this. Paul keeps reiterating it. When I preach a message, I can study this out. I studied this book for a month, and I study this out, and it convicts me. And then I feel that you know this is something that the Lord put on my heart to bring, but yet it's still speaking to me. You know, in the West, we're so spoiled. We talked about it in Sunday school. I don't think we really know much about sacrifice. I mean, with anything. And, and, and just think about it. We're thankless, and we don't sacrifice for anything or anybody because at the end of the day, it's all about me. But that's not what God would have for you. Put him first, put others second, put yourself third. God will take care of you. I told somebody the other day that I tithed, you know, to the church told, and told them, and, uh, and they couldn't believe it. Really? 
Yeah, really, it's kind of par for the course. I mean, I don't need a pat on the back. I'm not going to advertise it, but it, you know. And you also tell people about the Lord? You invite them to church? Whoa. Oh, I better start doing that. Why? Just, just trying to be what a Christian. You know, football players, you wear pads? You know? Yeah. And you run? Wow. You know? You fuel truck drivers in the back. You drive? <laughs> you drive truck? Yeah, that's what you do because that's what you're called to do. <clears throat> so, we don't sacrifice. And another thing we don't do is we don't rejoice. I now rejoice in my sufferings, Paul said. When was the last time you did that? Ouch. We sing that song, Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I say rejoice. That's hard. But when you realize... Well, you know, I got some of my former players here. We used to run them into the ground. Train my kids. I train them at the gym. Absolutely obliterate them. But they know it's going to work. God's taking everybody. Everybody's some, everybody has something going on right now. Oswald Chambers says, I really, I really feel sorry for the person that doesn't wish there was something in their life that the Lord wouldn't remove. Because that's the weight that he wants you to trust him with. I, I don't get it all. Charles Spurgeon said, you know, it's easy to trust God in the trials. The only trials I don't trust God with are the ones I'm presently in. <laughs> that was Charles Spurgeon. And I guess he was some sort of Christian. So you can look him up too. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh which is lacking the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church. You know, if we were to rejoice when we were suffering, you know, Paul and Silas were in that Philippian jail. And they were singing at midnight. And the Philippian jail heard him. Jailer heard him. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was saved because he heard two women's conversation about the Lord. And Dr. Rogers said, you know, if people heard your conversation, would it lead them to Christ? Philip in my flesh, which is lacking. What that means is that when the devil thought he won, when Christ, who willingly gave up his life on the cross, died, that wasn't enough for the enemy of your soul. So now what he tries to do to get even more to add to that affliction of Christ on the cross is go after his children, go after believers. And that's how Paul was filling up in his flesh what was lacking, the afflictions of Christ, for the for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. You know, God entrusted me with this word this morning. And uh, I need to be faithful in how I present this. And I like Pastor Jim always says, you know, something you don't agree with, look it up, come back to me later. But it all starts with rejoicing. And the next point is revelation. It says, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. A lot of people say, well, how come all this stuff has just come about now and new things are coming about now? Well, if, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 5, 1 Peter 1, 5, 1 John 3, 2, 1 Peter 4, 13, and Romans 2, 4, you can look those up. Talk about how God has waited to reveal things to us. And I'll just turn to Ephesians 3, 5 very quickly because it's the next book over. And I just want to move through this. But God keeps us in the dark in certain things. If you don't believe me, he does it in your life. Ask any 85 or 90-year-old believer that's walked with the Lord since they were 12 and, and see if they don't know more now 
that's been revealed through their obedience and life of faith for that many years as they did at the beginning. I know more now than I did six months ago, four months ago. You should as you press in, have things revealed to you. Ephesians 3, 5, which in other ages was, this is the um, same mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. It has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And that's why the Old Testament, New Testament, why didn't those people see this? Well, the whole Old Testament, 330 plus prophecies, point to a coming Messiah. Who could it be? There was a, a mathematician did a crunch some numbers. I don't know how he came up with this, but he said that if one person in human history ever fulfilled just eight prophecies from the Old Testament for all the people that ever lived, billions of people, that it would be the equivalent in the mathematical probability of filling the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars and reaching in and grabbing the right one on the first try. That's how precise God Almighty of the Old Testament was in predicting who this Messiah would be, and Jesus fulfilled over 330 of them. So there's no mathematical probability that even exists, right? You can't even think that high. I think maybe Andrew could, but <laughs> but uh, not me. So <clears throat> he's given us revelation, and the last two is he's given us riches. You know, he says, To them God willed to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is that? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was there, but he didn't indwell people. This side of Calvary's cross, that the Holy Spirit, who is God, can come and dwell in your spirit. Okay, that, that, that is our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not about being good or trying hard or being religious or doing and not doing. It's about the fact that God Almighty says, when you come to me and bow the knee and bow your heart, that I will take up residence in your being. Now you have a supernatural power to be able to live out what he's commanded. That's why when you read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 through 7, when you read the Beatitudes... You, you, I remember Doreen said to me one time a couple years ago, I had him reading the Beatitudes, and he says, Dad, this stuff's, or maybe it was last year, this stuff's impossible for the natural man, but not for someone that asks for the power. The same power that rose Christ from the dead can empower you to keep the Beatitudes, to do what he said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, you can't love them unless you know them, and the only way to know them is to have them come dwell inside you, and then once you do that, now I can keep his commandments. And I do that out of response for his love to me. He gives us these riches. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a great rich, uh, a great riches that he extends to us, all based on his grace. The riches of his glory. We, we can't even comprehend it. And lastly, what's the result? What's the result is this, of this as we close? <clears throat> he says, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ, perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, Paul says, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, I've memorized that verse and I've studied that verse for 25 years. And you, you just can't seem to grasp the concept of God works, but I strive. How does that work? Pastor Rivers would get up here sometimes and say, God, move me out of the way so that he could speak through me. 
Get my flesh out of the way. Get me out of the way. Well, he says here that he is laboring. He's striving, but what's he striving for? According to the work that God is already doing in his life. He's working out what God is working in. And uh, Philippians chapter 2 touches on this point. Verse 13, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, this is the same uh, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. People that don't have any fear of God, the Bible says they're not wise, they're fools. To have a healthy fear of God. I'm not talking about walking around on eggshells with your head bowed down all the time. I'm talking about knowing where you came from, where you're going, who put you here, and what you're doing. And having a healthy fear of that. But he says, work out your own salvation. So you're already saved. Christ has already come into your life. You already have salvation. Now I need to work it out. What does that look like practically? Well, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, gentleness, um, long-suffering you know, the fruit, the nightfall fruit of the Spirit, loving people, being gentle, kind, patient, having peace. Okay, that's what it looks like in, in that sense. How does it look like working out, loving people, reaching out to people, telling them about the Lord, okay, inviting people to church, getting them tracks, you know, whatever, serving God in whatever capacity that he has you serve in. That's what it looks like practically. He says, with fear and trembling. And then lastly, Paul says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you work it out, but God works in you. And in verse 29 of Colossians 1, he says the same thing. He's striving, but it's according to the, to the Holy Spirit who's working in him mightily. So the question is this morning, <clears throat> are you reconciled to Christ? Are, are you? Have you ever taken time in your life to understand that Jesus was who he claimed to be? And if you don't believe it, and that's fine, but have you investigated it? There's not a lot of people that go around saying, I'm God, and then they back it up. We don't change their calendars after everybody. You know, you're going to write a check today or, or whatever, and it's 2019. The question is why? Because it could be, it could be uh, you know, year 200 and whatever since, you know, the Constitution, or it could be, um, you know, whatever year it could be, based on uh, Abe Lincoln. You know, it could be year 170. But it's not. It's year 2019 on our Roman calendar, and there's a reason for that. Okay, there's a reason for that. We don't go changing our calendars for everybody. I just encourage everybody, even if you're reconciled to Christ through faith this morning, to, to read on the claims of Christ and to, to study apologetics. It's so intriguing to know there's such a plethora of information out there for anyone that would just take it any amount of time whatsoever. And you don't really have to, you know, with the advent of that intraweb, there's, you really don't have to look very far to type in, you know, evidences for the Christian faith. And it, it's unbelievable. You just get lost in there. And you read some of these scholars that, you know, they... are you reconciled to Christ this morning? And if you are, what are you, what are you sacrificing for him? 
Because we sacrifice a lot of things for a lot of people. We sacrifice things for our favorite team. Sacrifice things for our favorite restaurant. You know, we wait in line at the Red Lobster until that stupid little thing goes off with the red light, you know, for an hour just so we can eat those garlic cheese biscuits. Right? All for food. We'll sacrifice hours of time to wait in line to go on a ride at an amusement park. Okay? But we can't sacrifice some time to put Christ first in our lives after all that he's done for us. And once you've studied that out and realized it and prayed about it and sought his face, he says in Matthew 7, ask, seek, you'll find. Ask, seek, knock. And that acronym is actually ask. Ask, seek, knock. Whoever asks, he's going to answer. Seek, he says, if you seek with all your heart, you'll find. The only people that aren't finding God are the ones that aren't even seeking because he's there to be found. He's not hiding. I would just encourage everybody this morning to just take a good look inside and ask where you're at. Are you reconciled and are you making any sacrifices for him at all? Let's pray. Father, thank you through Christ that you've reconciled us. You've done everything that you needed to do to buy us back from the slave market of sin and rebellion. But now it's up to us. You said in John 6, 29, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he sent. Put it on our hearts this morning, Lord, to believe 100% on Christ, who he is, what he came to do, what he did do. The fact that he says he's coming back, he's fulfilled and kept all the promises. And that's another one that he will fulfill. He says it in his word. And then I pray, Lord, that we would make sacrifices for you. But, but we have to work out what you work in us, Lord. So work in our lives this morning. Work in every heart here. Meet us at the point of our need. And through your power, that you would draw us. Your word says no man can even come unless the Father draws him. So that you would draw us closer to yourself here this morning. And manifest yourself. And as we talked about earlier, and reveal to us what you have for us this morning. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.